0: Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Joshua V Hill. Um, and this is Bottom Fidelity. Uh, episode eight. From my calculations, from my estimations, from my approximations, it is we're at that level. We're doing it. Then we're doing it now. We're doing it. Blah blah blah. Whatever. Um, but anyways before I get into any of it, new song coming out on the uh 31st, this coming Thursday of March, the song, or the single, or whatever you want to call it, it's called Ghost, there's also another track on there, it's like a cool little whatever intro track, I've been like experimenting with those and stuff, those have been, have been exciting to do, um, but this right now playing is Ghost, so I'm gonna give you a little preview. Just kind of like the similar or kind of similar like the previous song it's, you know, funky, low down get your bass, you know, get your bass pumping, moving kind of stuff you know I was kind of experimenting a little bit with that stuff Yeah. All right. And so that is what, uh, that is all I'll give you. That is all I give you. But that song right there is called ghost. That'll be coming out on, that'll be coming out on Thursday on the 31st. Um, it is, you know, I've been kind of doing more and more, uh, like kind of like, I guess you call it research or whatever you want to call it on, uh, musical genres, and, you know, my exposure to Bass House was kind of later incarnations of Bass House that you could argue are kind of more aggressive, uh, kind of where the genre has gone in more recent time periods, you know, when you had people. But even Jaws, I was going to say you had people like Jaws, but even Jaws still did kind of like a lot of the classic tracks that are, you know, very soul, you know, have a lot of really like kind of like soul based samples, callbacks to like old school house while also like bringing in like a lot of the new the new kind of like sound design from Kind of like the genres of dubstep and drum and bass a little bit, you know, kind of where the sound design had gone in those realms. Um, so that was my exposure to bass house. But as I started kind of like doing, you know, just even just like a little bit of research into bass house, you start realizing that that term kind of applies to like a super big umbrella for a lot of uh genres. Um, and basically, that it's just you know house with the emphasis on the bass or the bass line. And you could argue less on the kick, though, obviously, a lot of bass house songs still have massive kicks. But so I started, you know, looking into a lot of those tracks and kind of like more Because I recently also started getting into like tech house and kind of more of those like, you know, I call them like anti drops, like negative drops, you know, where there's all of this build up to something that is very kind of like minimalistic, very kind of impactful, but not. Like smash your face in with a lot of like high end, you know, a lot of times it's just like a crazy, like bass line. you know, it just drops into like a crazy baseline and maybe like a little bit of drums or maybe like a little bit of extra, like, you know, orient or, or ornamental, uh, sound effects around this, you know, sound shape. Um, and so I kind of started getting into those kind of genres and those kind of, or, you know, those kinds of songs in those genres. And so I kind of started looking into the bass house thing more. And so I was like, okay, well, why don't I kind of try to go down this road? And I hadn't really done it since, um, uh, I think my, one of my older songs, um, night something, let me see if I can pull it up. Let me see if I can pull it up. okay i popped it i was like um it was one of my older songs that i had here oh yeah after dark i was gonna say night dark or night something but after dark was another one where i was trying to kind of go after but after dark i would almost say because i was trying to go after the bass house sound uh but i would say that is even kind of a little bit more of the modern you know kind of like hardcore sound um in that track and so but yeah that's kind of what i did with these first two tracks of the year i kind of wanted to kind of try something a little bit different we're going to kind of pivot from this point on but like i said that track is coming out on thursday so go check that out that'll be exciting um uh just as i try to keep up with at least once a month Uh, i was gonna scoot it a day into next month but then it wouldn't have counted as once a month even though i technically haven't i didn't do one in january but whatever uh so, you know, we'll see. And then, like I said, I also, I've also been making these cool little intro songs that go with each single. So there'll be a new one on this. Um, which is kind of inspired by this song. Uh, I don't even remember originally why I called the song Ghost. I think one of the synths in it is called Ghost. I think it was probably half the time my songs are named after like the preset. Of the synth that i started out with that i like either modified or chain or you know some some preset along in the chain has a name and i look for names like that when i'm making the song if i can't figure out what name i'm gonna name it and if it's like a prominent like if if i say i use a sound effect and the sound effect was called like you know lightning bell it might be like okay we're gonna call the song lightning bell you know stuff like that i do that stuff all the time just because half the time i can't come up with titles i feel very much like i think it was uh I think it was, no, I think it's Philip K. Dick. I was going to say either Ray Bradbury or Philip K. Dick, but I think it was Philip K. Dick that said he was always the worst at coming up with titles for his books. And I've all, ever since I read that, I feel it. Cause you, you know, read some of his titles for some of his books, like do androids dream of electric sheep instead of calling it blade runner, you know, like blade runner, such a cooler, so much more of a cooler title, but that only really came around with the movie. Whereas like his original title is like this massive mouthful, even though conceptually his original title is kind of a little bit more intriguing, um, then Blade Runner. Uh, but I guess that's kind of like the dichotomy of more interesting versus kind of more in depth, but yeah, so new song there. Um, you know, we got some more stuff in the works. Uh, we'll see if I start playing any more shows. I'm going to kind of like, you know, I've got a couple little things brewing here and there. I'm going to try to do a couple little collabs with a couple of other friend artists that I have here locally. We might try to branch out more. We'll see um i might i might start submitting tracks to uh labels i haven't really been doing that um or even i kind of do a little bit of playlist submissions but i don't even really do that so i'm gonna kind of like branch out into those realms but anyways uh i guess enough about me more about uh the things that interest me uh recently um i've been playing um a several kind of like going back and playing like a lot of older games i guess you could say this was prompted by uh, me recently playing, kind of restarting Fallout New Vegas and Fallout 3 and, play, you know, doing TTW and all that stuff, I kind of went back and started playing a lot of older games, especially now uh with my new computer and my new monitors that I have. I finally have like 144 hertz monitors and I've so I've never got I've, all my other monitors when I was using a TV before for the longest, you know, time for years, uh, a lot of that stuff you know, that was only 60 Hertz, you know? So I was only going up to 60 frames per second, which is, you know, the jump from coming from console 60 or 30, you know, frames per second for the most part, except I think, you know, and I remember noticing it in certain games. Like I know a lot of old school racing games going even back to like the GameCube and PlayStation two era had 60 frames per second. Some of the fighting games did. I think super monkey ball did. Uh, I don't remember if the Metroid prime games did, but I almost feel like they did. Cause they felt pretty fast at the time. um, but yeah that jump between 30 to 60 is massive and i feel like even though you can kind of tell you know 60 to 144 it still feels almost as massive you kind of have a fluidity it, you, and I feel like I started noticing that a lot more, especially with like first person shooter games um and a lot of games where it's like flat fast twitch motion you kind of realize and like following like a lot of games if you have to follow things uh tracking enemies became like ten times easier and like a lot of things like that uh and just you know things looked uh better and you know animations on enemies and stuff looked cleaner kind of more fluid you know a lot of stuff like that so recently I've been going back and playing a lot of games uh And uh, one of the games I've been kind of just recently, recently replaying, I haven't finished it yet, is uh, Black Mesa, which I had played through a little bit. I've never played the original Half-Life. I started the Half-Life series with two um, on the Xbox with the orange box, like a lot of people I imagine did. Um, And I never went back and played one, even all these years on PC Uh, I don't know, you, maybe it could have, you could have said it had been the graphics, but I mean, it's not like Black Mesa's graphics are the prettiest either. They're great. I really like the kind of world design and what they've done, at least looking at some of the, you know, comparison shots, like kind of how they've kind of taken it, where they've kind of taken it to, uh, And that's what I got to say is that playing through Black Mesa, definitely sets up kind of like that feeling of this massive compound that you're in, um, which I imagine is kind of how the original Half-Life felt. You're just in this massive underground uh, scientific compound. And it really feels like that. Cause as you go through all these like different sections, you know, like eventually when you get to like the rocket engine section and stuff like that, you kind of start to uh, kind of realize all of the different place. And then kind of similarly, uh, another game that was like this uh, Prey, uh, where you, you know, you're in the ship and when you go to different parts of the ship, you read emails from people that had no idea about all the crazy secret shit that was happening in some other area in the compound. So that feel in, or some other area in the ship, similar to like in, in Half-Life 1 slash Black Mesa, uh, you know, you feel that. You know, you kind of, you feel that there's this immense area, you feel like every, around every single turn there's going to be some other device or thing that they've made that you're going to have to go up against, you know, the tensions kind of there. I was surprised and I don't know if this is just specifically with the Black Mesa version or if this is with... uh even the original Half-Life version, but I'm just kind of surprised about how much how there how much areas there weren't any music in. I kind of remember this happening in Half-Life 2. I do remember a lot of lulls where like if you weren't necessarily doing anything or kind of walking around and solving puzzle puzzles, there wasn't you know constant ambience like there is in a lot of other games. Uh, But I think that was the thing that kind of stood out to me that was different than, you know, kind of because, you know, everything like even, you know, thinking about like a lot of the Bethesda games, it's like constant soundtracks wherever you go that kind of swell as you approach certain things or, you know, go over certain peaks or, you know, there's all these musical cues throughout the world where the music kind of changes and morphs to kind of enhance the experience. Uh, and this game kind of almost taking that away, you know, changes the experience. Um, but it's also coming from a different era where I guess, you know, one, there was limitations. And two, uh, I think there was a little bit more subtlety because of the limitations. They were taking different considerations with it. But it is definitely, uh it's fun. It's interesting to see kind of how far things have come, even though this is still a Source 2. I think it's a Source 2. I don't know if it's the most recent Source engine. Whatever it's whatever it's at now, but I know I think it's at least source two. Um it's interesting to see kind of where that's gone, uh, and a lot of the stuff that they're doing in that game. That's been a fun game I've been playing uh recently. I recently finished the first Bioshock, the remaster that they did of that on the PC as well, that they re-released recently. Uh, You know, not both of these games playing them, you know, very high frame rates, you know, 120 plus, you know, FPS, you kind of if it makes the games feel significantly different than even like, you know, versions like For Black Mesa, you know, Half-Life 2 and versions I'd played on the uh, Xbox 360 way back when. But even with Bioshock, you know, the version I had played way back when on the Xbox 360 and just kind of like the difference in kind of like the immersion, kind of like the color and the detail. And then the cool thing about this version is they had the uh, director's commentary throughout Bioshock. So you can kind of find these little uh, film canisters throughout the game that kind of, it, was, it looked like it was this m- big interview that Jeff Keighley did with uh, uh, Ken Levine and uh, one of the other lead designers. I can never remember his name because uh, I'm the worst, uh, even though I watched a whole bunch of them. Um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty big interview that uh, he did with both of those guys that uh, I think they cut up into all these different parts and applied them to different levels. And you kind of find them hidden-ish. As you kind of go through the levels, um, and it's very interesting to kind of hear, you know, one like where the ideas had come from with Bioshock, and kind of where they eventually took them, kind of like the considerations of the whole dynamic between like the big sisters and the or the little sisters and the big daddies, uh, and that whole entire thing, uh, and kind of making and making that like the moral kind of like uh, anchor throughout the game, and playing it like this time, I of course har- uh, I just harvested all of the uh, little sisters, but you kind of get to a point. Um, like mechanically in that game where it's kind of pointless to go the harvest route to even just because you get so many points that unless you kind of start putting them into sections and powers that you either don't use or that aren't necessarily the most handy, like, you know, I started getting to the point where I was like, okay, I guess I can start putting stuff into like the swarm or the decoy, which I never really used that much. Uh, there was a couple other powers that I didn't really use that much. And so you kind of get to this point where I was like, ah, I could have just, I guess, rescued all the little sisters and been fine with it, even even though. But I kind of just wanted to see uh the way the game ended differently and all the little different details throughout the game, if you, you know, harvested them all. Uh, mainly because it was one of the I haven't I think I did that maybe one other time in the past, like a long time ago with Bioshock. And so it's probably the the least uh Uh, the version, the way through the game I've played through the least is the evil way through that game. And so I kind of wanted to just experience it one time, just kind of replaying it in this new kind of like uh, fancier kind of uh, newfangled version. Um, That game, though, I still have, it has very odd pacing in a way. Um, And I remember uh, kind of running into this initially when I played the game, Um, because within each level, the pacing is amazing gorgeous like you can't even believe but i almost think that the order of the levels should kind of be moved around in the game like i've always kind of felt weird it always felt weird to me that the basically the scariest part in the game next to uh Sander Cohen's part uh or Sasha Cohen or whatever you know the guy that paint puts everybody in the in the um like paper mache statues and things. Uh, beyond that part in the game, you, they put like the surgery medical ward part at the beginning of that game, which in my opinion is the creepiest part and kind of like the most conceptually, philosophically disturbing part right next to the big daddy research. Um, and you know, all the stuff that like, uh, you know, Cohen was doing and whatnot in his area. So I personally would have rather had the game start out in like the Arcadia area with the guys that teleport uh the, the the art or the the grass area um and progress from there through a lot more of the levels and leave the medical ward the surgery area as either the last right before you go and face adam or right before that museum section at the end of the game um or put it right before cohen's area or right after cohen's area i feel like it should have been put somewhere else in the game cuz it kind of it lifts the level of horror to such a degree that kind of nothing else throughout the whole entire game really kind of hits you that much. And you also kind of get hit with the discovery of the Big Daddy right at the beginning and, the you know, seeing the whole battle where he gourds the guy. And, like, you see a lot of crazy things right at the beginning of the game. So I never felt like you needed to kind of front load that, though I kind of understand why you would. I know a lot of times with game design, they like to put a lot of the cooler areas first just because people never finish games. Uh, so I kind of understand that on one end, but it's it it was a thing I felt originally when I play it that there's kind of parts in the game where it. It not not that it felt like there was a lull exactly, but it it seemingly kind of felt aimless. Like I kind of didn't understand why we ended the game in the museum area, like the, the final area before you get to the final boss battle was the museum area kind of never really made sense to me. I always kind of I felt like that should have been an area way earlier in the game, even though I understand the whole you're now a big daddy walking a little sister around and trying to watch her while she harvests stuff. Uh, I kind of understand that aspect, but I felt like that could have been put in another level, <laughs> not the museum level, uh, you know, there, and that's the only thing, like, it's, a you know, amazing game and, you know, all the accolades that it's ever gotten throughout, it's, you know, it's still one of my favorites, a lot of it still holds up amazingly, you know, the gameplay still holds up pretty good, The hacking isn't nearly as annoying as I thought it was going to be, though, of course... Isn't nearly as hard as I remember it being and gets very repetitive towards the end, even though you can kind of just like get the auto hack tools and kind of spam those most of the time. Um, and beyond a couple spots, which I guess could also be another example of old like older game design, just like a couple spots that where like it almost seemed like the difficulty like skyrocketed temporarily until you kind of like got a handle on the situation. Um, And that's kind of a thing that I felt happened a lot originally when I played Bioshock, where I would just kind of run into these situations where I got like clobbered by like so much damage, kind of what I feel like happens in a lot of Bethesda games, though in Bethesda games, it somewhat makes sense because since all the enemies are scaling, you can't, you can take into consideration where enemies will be, but there will obviously always be enemies that will be able to Uber you. And I, I I understand the need to have that in a single player game where things you know eventually you know continuously get harder. but it also just kind of it there was a couple points in the game where it just it didn't seem like there was any rhyme or reason to it. You kind of went into it in a room and got ambushed by like tons of enemies. And I think the thing that started killing me towards the end of the game was a lot of these security cameras and their placement, um, and you know, where they weren't necessarily easy to get to. and I, I for some reason kept thinking that you could get the gun that shot the little homing darts. Uh, which I don't think you can get in the first Bioshock. I think that's a thing in the second Bioshock, which is definitely something I'm going to play. But, you know, beyond that, like, again, like, the story is amazing. You know, the Woodley, Ki- Would You Kindly stuff is great. Uh, I, you know, the final boss isn't the best, you know, the way that you face Adam. I also kind of have problems, even though it's a cool scene and very intense way to explain what happens in a sense. I have always kind of found the scene with Andrew Ryan, kind of a dumb a little bit. You have this guy that built this entire city that was like a semi cutthroat, like, you know, all no holds barred, like capitalist, like entrepreneurial style, like, you know, a combination of like all of the old school, like, you know, uh, you know, like business slash entrepreneurial people you know that are famous throughout our history kind of like a combination of all those people um he was supposed to be that which then to me begs the question of like well okay so then he'd be supposedly somebody that's intelligent supposedly somebody that had the wherewithal to want to leave rapture at some point or at least keep rapture together or do something with rapture at some point he's a menace to you initially when you get there but then by the time you get to him he just has you kill him It's To me, it's still, it very much, it it seems very, it's a very odd choice, I think. Uh, I know there's a lot of like philosophical uh, aspects wrapped up in it, but I still feel like it's kind of an odd choice within the context of the entire game and the setting up of uh, Andrew Ryan and kind of how he's held up as this guy. And, you know, I felt kind of after that scene throughout the rest of the game, when you hear him monologue on all the audio tapes, you're kind of like, well who cares what you said? You literally had me golf club you to prove that I was a controlled uh, specimen who was your son that you sold off to people to be experimented on. To me, you know, to me the game doesn't really wrestle with a lot of these dynamics as much as it could have though. I guess it did really wrestle with some of these dynamics more than most games in that time period that it was made. So, but even now just kind of like looking at it you're like, "Man, ah, you could have probably fleshed out a little bit more of it." And I know a lot of that stuff comes through a little bit more in two. Uh, And I know they kind of like go back into it in infinite, which I kind of dislike uh, personally and how they connected all those universes together. And I guess we'll see how they do, you know, future Bioshocks and whatnot. But I guess that's my opinion on Bioshock years later in the new version, you know, it plays amazingly. It looks amazing. You know, the world's always amazing to go through. I just think the games, still the game's orders odd game doesn't have the best ending, and, you know, kind of after that, you know, famous twist in the game, you don't really, I don't, there's not too much more propelling you through. There, There's bits and pieces propelling you through, but not nearly as much as I felt like I remember when I originally played the game. Um, And then uh, the only other game thing I wanted to talk about as we get deeper and deeper into this uh, game is it seems like everybody, I haven't played it yet, but it seems like everybody is saying that uh Ghostwire Tokyo is boring um or at least very repetitive. Uh I like I said I haven't played it yet. Um from what I've heard it's very much like uh kind of I I guess you wouldn't say aping but you know it's very much in the style of Assassin's Creeds where you're going to kind of these different points to slowly unlock the map and then you have side quests but supposedly a lot of the side quests are redundant and the main story mode in the game can be finished in six hours so in total it's probably like a 12-ish hour game maybe a little bit longer maybe this game kind of similarly to uh i feel like the witcher 3 back when it came out kind of overshadowed other games that came around it that were in similar kind of open world genres i would almost wonder if you could say the same thing about Elden Ring, just because when you look at Elden Ring the amount of content that game has and compare it to something like Ghostwire, maybe that makes Ghostwire look less impressive because it's released in such in such a tight time frame between, you know, since it's so close. Um so that is definitely something like to consider in a sense, uh, when it comes to that game. Um but I don't know. For me, you know, Aesthetically, the game still seems ridiculously interesting. I have to play it again. But it seems really interesting in that aspect. You know, I also hope the story wasn't the greatest, but there's a lot of games that don't have the greatest stories. Like, you know, one of my favorite games of all time, Mirror's Edge. I think both of them, if I remember correctly, kind of fall flat on the story angle, even though they could do so much with that game universe. But those games are still very fun to kind of play and move through. So that's kind of the thing that holds it up, though. Again, a lot of people said the mechanics in Ghostwire are kind of very repetitive and, you know, only get faster and not really that interesting. And who knows? Uh, And I guess we'll see. I imagine we'll probably get DLC with this game because it seems like Tango releases DLCs with a lot of their games. Um, They did, I think, with both Evil Withins. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how that all works. I played the first Evil Within and liked it, but have not played the second. I heard the second was an interesting kind of experimentation, a little bit more of an open world horror game. And so I see how that could be interesting. It makes me kind of want to go back and play it because the first one in a lot of different ways kind of turned me off of the series in general. But I guess we'll have to see about that. And, you know, kind of uh, in the same realm as video games, but in the tech realm, it seems like now finally... Finally, uh, GPU prices are falling. Um, some stuff is kind of returning to MSRP, at least here in the United States, um, or it is at least available most of the day, which is kind of a crazy uh, concept to think about. The fact that we have been in this crazy, uh, you know, pandemic Uh, situation and the fact that, you know, supply chains have gotten rocked in all kinds of different ways that I don't think a lot of people predicted, Um, you know, you have all these things kind of conferring, plus, you know, the crypto boom, people trying to get their assets and different things, all that kinds of stuff, you know, uh, uncertainty in the market causing people to do all this, you know, all these, all these bouncy balls, all these different things flying around, you know, uh, and all that stuff kind of colliding into the tech sector and kind of making... And, you know, uh, the fact that we didn't really have a lot of resources going around when it came to, like, who manufactured silicone, it was only coming from specific places. And, you know, it was only, you know, so you, we kind of ran into, we were going to naturally run into these problems at some point. Um, and it's just nice to kind of see that these are, you know, some of the clouds are finally lifting. There's also, it seems like the GPU tariffs are going to be released or there's a relief on the tariffs until December of this year um, of 2022. So that'd be good. I don't know if this is going to hold. I know a lot of the major uh, technology companies kind of, you know, petitioned the government to like, please, can you get rid of these tariffs? They're ridiculous. We didn't need them. They were kind of a bad idea to get out to start off with coming from Trump. And they kind of just bad idea on top of COVID coming um, just kind of wrecked a lot of situations. Uh, And so. um, But at least the tariffs will be off until December. Now, this, who knows, could cause a mad rush into the market again but we also have a cooling of uh bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general um it seems like bitcoin is going back up um it's at 46 now uh, but it's down today uh in the grand scheme of things um but you know it's rising slowly rising back from its fall below 40 um and so some people are looking hopeful into that we'll see what happens when you know proof of stake comes through with ethereum but That's a whole nother debate. And of course, as a lot of people bring up, you know, Ethereum has been talking about doing the proof of stake forever. So we don't know if that's going to actually happen anytime soon, but it seems like either all the people that got the GPUs wanted to get the GPUs, people are kind of in a holding pattern until the new GPUs come out. And so this might be a really good time to hop on GPU prices or hop on getting GPU. The prices might be in a good situation. I'm thinking about hopping in one just because I built a new computer and that's the only component I didn't really update was my GPU. So, but it will see what happens with it. We'll see how this kind of affects the prices of the 40 series of NVIDIA's graphics cards when they come out and then whatever AMD tries to counter with. Um, it'll be an interesting kind of back and forth. It's always interesting to kind of see what both companies do. And we'll just to see where the prices finally go. Cause I'm wondering if, you know, all of these things hitting at the same time and if people are lukewarm on the 40 series because of the, uh, power requirements that it seems like they're going to have. Um, then all of these things might conflate into a market that kind of like drops out and then GPU prices become, you know, cheaper than ever possibly. I mean, this happened before, um, with Bitcoin or and just crypto in general, when it, you know, when the prices fell out of that, you know, way back when, I think it was in like 2018, 2017, I wasn't really watching. I've just heard a lot of people talk about this, but supposedly when the prices fell in previous time for, uh, a lot of people, um, basically got in on the market because gpus were super cheap at that point you know so i think it's i think it's possible to see this happening plus we'll see i know uh a lot of people are talking about fabs and you know, more silicone being created in different parts of the world, not just silicone, but kind of expanding a lot of the manufacturing capabilities that are only kind of in these certain zones in the world into Europe, United States, other areas. Uh, I guess there's been kind of a cooling on that. So we'll see if that kind of speeds up as much as possible. People were projecting four or five years. You know, cause Intel was investing a whole bunch of money in getting their fabs up and running. There was even talk that Nvidia was going to use some of Intel's fabs to create some of their products. So I don't know if that's going to happen. You know, I'm not, I'm not well versed in the history of either their company, either of those companies and whether that's happened before, but it just seems interesting, especially with Intel coming out with a competitor product when it comes to graphics cards. But we'll also be waiting to see when that happens, which that's supposed to drop here soon. And that might also cause a lot of, that might also you know, cause the market to kind of lessen, kind of cool off and, you know, who knows, you know, we might see the, you know, prices drop off, you know, on top of that, uh, the other thing I wanted to kind of talk about in the tech realms, it seems like, and I know, I mean, Apple had kind of flirted with this for years because I know I've had friends that were kind of on similar plans, kind of like this with previous uh, devices, but it seems like Apple's going to try to move into a pure subscription service. They, I don't know if they're going to completely switch everything over to this or just, kind of have this as an option but it seems like they're going to start uh, a service where people just kind of play a fat uh, pay a flat monthly fee to I guess basically rent a device and then in perpetuity and then when they when a new iPhone comes out they can trade in the device because they're just paying this like monthly subscription based thing, you know, instead of like, you know, getting into a contract, which a lot of, you know, phone companies have already gone, you know, kind of away from in recent years uh, or just, you know, play, you know, completely, you know, buying the device yourself, you know, kind of going into this realm of like, Oh, if you have 30 bucks, you can get a full phone, one of the best phones on the market, go for it, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, and that's arguable best phone on the market depends on if you're an iPhone person or not. But I just think it's interesting to see companies kind of start doing this with hardware and it's dangerous in a sense, because I think, you know, everybody wants to own the things that they have. And when you're talking about a phone, and you're talking about all the information that you have on a phone and it being put into the system where, and I don't imagine this would happen where they come like repossess your phone. I'd imagine they just shut off the service and take the hit of losing that $800 phone before that person paid the phone off, Right. But it depends on how they set this monthly price thing up and how much money they end up making off of it. Because maybe if they get a ton of people coming in, then the amount of people that either stop paying on their device or whatever fall through the cracks won't hit them as dramatically as you'd think. But it's just an interesting idea to see this subscription thing kind of come through, especially as we're starting to see cracks in things like Netflix, starting to see cracks in things like Spotify and all these other subscription services, you know, I think people are kind of, in a sense, starting to get tired of stuff, you know, the prices keep increasing on everything. And so the idea that you're going to now have another subscription service, I mean, I know a lot of people already have their phone plans already paying off, you know, phones in general, when they're going to, you know, when they're, you know, going through like Verizon, T-Mobile, XYZ, but you know, these kinds of plans, you know, tend to lock you into a situation where then you're just, you know, you end up spending more money than you needed to. That's why I ended up, you know, buying my phone outright uh, off the internet, just saving up the money buying it. So I didn't have an extra bill and all of my bill was just service. And that, you know, that's the thing that you can go for, for the most part. But a lot of people, you know, it just really kind of depends on how you kind of want to take it and whatnot. But, and, uh, you know, speaking of things that are interesting, I, I recently watched, because it came out, we recently watched, or I guess it was mostly me, uh, my girlfriend came in later. But yeah, I don't think she had seen any of the previous seasons. Um, Atlanta, um, two episodes dropped from the new season. Um, I guess they're going on a European tour, which is interesting. Paperboy uh, Paperboy's going on a Europe tour. Uh, the first episode was very cool, very out of, um, out of nowhere, a good way to start off the season. I think kind of like an interesting examination on like, you know, history and curses kind of bringing up something that I don't think a lot of people knew about, you know, with that lake and like the community and stuff like that. But though, you know, I don't know, I go back and forth on like, you know, a lot of that stuff. Uh, when it comes to like stuff because you know when I looked it up you know the amount of you know things it's you know just another example of like you know American history kind of like you know just another story that you've never heard of that is like one of the most terrible stories you've ever heard of kind of thing right uh, and then just kind of how that's tied back into this odd very odd kind of very uh, echoes of the past echoes of history story of this kid put into a pseudo a foster home plantation situation <laughs> which is crazy but who you know totally imagined happened or has happened at some point you know multiple times if not has been happening in certain circumstances uh with their we you know different people throughout the history of the United States even after all of our different periods of you know reconciliation with the past uh and and you know there's theories about like who the little kid is well the little kids you know is possibly actually earn or, uh, uh, and, you know, or somebody in the crew, you know, it could have been his cousin, paper boy, you know, who knows? Could have been anybody. Uh, it could have just been, uh, an allegory for something. It could have literally just been a dream that we got to key into, key into his mental state, you know, being in Europe and flying around and dealing with all that. Uh, and then the second episode kind of dealing with that, uh, uh, tradition that they have in whatever town they were in where the girl falls down the chimney and her face is black. So everybody paints their face black and this is, and it, she's like, I guess like Santa's little helper or something. So it's something that's associated with like Christmas and Santa Claus or what, or St. Nick at least. I don't know if it was Christmas specifically, but it was at least associated with St. Nick. Uh And so, you know, both of them kind of walking around this town because, you know, he has a paper has as a gig later in that town and seeing all these people basically in blackface and i guess that tradition has kind of come under scrutiny in modern times as you know the world's gotten more kind of global and everything like that but it's int- and i think that episode deals with it a lot especially every single time he sneezes uh and all that stuff kind of deals with the you know fish out of water aspect of being in a completely different culture that in some ways you know probably still looks down looks down on you for being black but it's not like the same ways that you know you get in America and so there's still even a culture shock there even though I can you know you could you could maybe assume that there wouldn't be like you wouldn't you would think that it wouldn't there wouldn't be a culture shock with that kind of element of society but there is just because it's going to be different everywhere Uh, and kind of that examination of it Uh, and then the fact that they're just like oh we can't even fucking do this at the end and so yeah it was definitely a good start off to it Uh, I appreciated the kind of like uh, pulling us into a storyline that we didn't know on the first episode. I think this show kind of benefits from it because the episodes aren't long. Um, though, man, does isn't there like an F-ton of fucking Hulu commercials when you're watching it on Hulu? So that killed me. Um, but beyond that, it was really good. And I'm looking forward to see how the rest of the season kind of pans out and where they go. And if the rest of the season is just going to kind of entail them doing this whole Europe thing, or if this is literally just going to be the episode that deals with that. I mean, this show kind of does and goes wherever the hell it wants. And it does. And, you know, that's kind of why I've always liked it is it's kind of not very, you know, very much is like, OK, we're going to we're going to put put you in something that sounds that sounds and feels and seems similar to what you know but then it, you know, those like elements of surrealism creep in all over the place and then just come out of nowhere, you know, um, and just kind of put you in a whole different kind of headspace. And that's why I think that show kind of like, uh, breaks a lot of barriers, um, that if the show was just playing its story straight, it wouldn't break those barriers, you know, it kind of wouldn't, it wouldn't kind of like, you know, I don't think the point would even come across as well because of that, you know, having that surrealist element kind of helps a lot of things kind of come through in different ways. Um, so yeah. And then, Speaking of another thing I haven't uh, I was talking about before or, you know, some things that, you know, were interesting. Um, Batman, you know, the Batman, the new Batman, the uh, Robert Pattinson Batman. Um, You know, I talked about that last week. I have to see. I'm not sure. Let's look. Let's look it up. Yeah. The Batman. We'll see. Is it is it streaming? Can I stream it? I don't know if it's going to come out. I imagine it'll come out on streaming services. Okay, so it's going to have a forty five or forty six day theatrical window. So it'll arrive on HBO in April, towards the end of April. Okay, so it'll, we got a month to wait. I still feel like I need to rewatch the movie. Um, a- Parts of the movie from my memory are kind of coming back and kind of making me kind of rethink some of my confusion initially when I talked about it last week. And then, you know, this week, you know, have all the stuff that happened with the or, now, you know, this might have been happening. I'm not sure, but I found out about, you know, all the stuff that came out with the new Joker and that website and people solving the riddles on the website and getting that video of the deleted scene of The new Joker, who's in Arkham, who's, you know, very much of a completely different take on the Joker. And in my opinion, is the only Joker in recent memory that is going to give Heath Ledger's Joker a run for their money and actually kind of like also very uh, creatively pay homage to uh, some of the more fucked up Jokers that we've had in the comic books uh and the way that they've ki- they kind of tease it in this scene which is like a 5 minute scene that i wish was in the movie and i understand why it wasn't because in a sense kind of pointless like you don't really need it in the movie that was already ridiculously long but you know in my personal opinion spoilers like you could have taken out the bike scene at the end of the goddamn movie and put this scene in and I would have liked the movie a little bit more, probably on the initial viewing. Because this scene is amazing. And I I wonder what they're going to do with this Joker. I wonder if there's going to be an escape with this Joker. I wonder if this Joker, because it seems like there's all the shit that already happened with this Joker, right? You can see the damage on him physically. He's in Arkham. Batman's asking him for help to find this Riddler character. So maybe all of that drama between the Joker and the Batman has already happened. It's already been solved and now the joker is just the specter in batman's life that he can in some ways go to for advice or for reflection or or whatever and so i wonder if they're just going to keep this joker in arkham um which would be also an interesting way to take the character and you know like not have joker as like a main villain of any of the movies but kind of come up and come back you know and maybe be connected to some other villains doing stuff in that universe uh And so I think that's, interesting and the scene was great and I'm excited to see this guy play the Joker more and I hope they put him in more of the movies. It'd be really great to actually see him shine and be a full-fledged Joker doing his shit in a full, you know, in a movie where he's the bad guy. But I still there's a lot of ways that they could take this character and I almost want them to kind of not be very typical, you know, not go a typical direction with it because it was such a And again, this is only a five-minute scene with this character and it's already making me completely rethink what I've thought about this movie and where that this new batman and kind of the tone of it and everything is going and again that's why i kind of wish it was in the movie or initially because it would have uh i would have you know i probably would have liked the movie more you know if that was the case uh and so taking a complete sharp intense left turn and going into uh, the music industry, which is the industry that I'm going into, I know. And I imagine, who knows, you guys are probably ridiculously annoyed. I play with a lot of stuff on my desk while I'm podcasting. You probably hear me play with this stuff. Uh, I don't know what it is, but I can't help it. As I'm talking, I just have to, like, play with shit. But we're pivoting to the music industry. We're talking about Doja Cat wanting to quit. Now, I've heard, I've talked to people that, you know, you know, I've talked about, her contracts being crazy horrible and like her handlers basically controlling her life completely. And so she's out of it. She doesn't want to have anything apart, you know, anything to do with it, you know, and just the amount of pressure. Um, and you know, she's like, I was a fool for thinking I was, you know, cut out for this business, which is interesting, uh, because of just kind of like the level that she's gotten to, it's very interesting to kind of see people, uh get to these you know massive levels in in some ways but then also be so torn down confined like manipulated in all these other directions uh when it comes to their success uh you know Britney Spears being another perfect example of that and it's interesting to see kind of all of these kind of like reactions to things because to me it seemed like her new album did great um But also, you know, there's people, there's people, you know, as renowned as Prince who talked about the problems that they had with their record labels and the contracts they signed and the things that they did. It's kind of a lot of the reason why I've never necessarily wanted to go that way when it came to completely go that way when it came to my music career, because it just seems like people are never happy ultimately when they make when they sign those deals they get like however many years into it and they're regretting it and they want out and they're done and they're over it and they don't want to tour anymore or whatever the fuck situation ends up being but they're locked in you know and but then you have people you know like frank ocean who literally played this played the game played the system to get several albums released and then dip and then just like stop basically releasing music completely. Uh, And so it's interesting to see kind of like the different ways that people kind of went about it in their journey. Um, I've always liked Doja Cat. I've always thought she's great. I was surprised that she was so kind of like handled in that her, her situation was so kind of like, you know, kind of kept in a specific, uh, in a you know in a specific way because to me initially when you see a lot of her content it seemed very indie it seemed very kind of independent and like she was doing her own shit and i know it's kind of gotten bigger than you know anything else before um And it seems like so I'm reading more of this. We're I'm reading this article about flooding in Paraguay. There was a store that happened. Um I don't know. I don't mean to have a, little, you know, silent air. I'm just reading this article. I should have i honestly probably should have read it earlier, but it seems like this John this uh drama kind of goes deeper than just her being fed up with the situation in the music industry. It also might be problems with this festival that she was headlining and planning on going. I know, you know, even just, you know, little rumblings that I hear locally here in my little tiny, you know, New Mexico, Albuquerque, you'll even hear about, you know, a lot of the dramas between like, you know, venues and bands, promoters and venues, uh, promoters and bands and groups, and just all the drama that kind of comes a lot of the time with the music industry uh, and where that kind of takes people. And it's interesting when that stuff kind of like comes down on, you know, different people and in different ways. Uh, um yeah. And, you know, it's, I don't know. I, I, it, uh, I, I've been, cause I, I would say, especially after everything that's happened recently, I'm very much, and this is another person that's kind of gone off the deep end in different ways. Uh, not that Doja Cat's necessarily going off the deep end, but she's just, you know, over it. Uh, and it seems like also Kanye's over it. And I've been a fan of his, but I've been a fair weather fan for the longest time, mainly because he, especially after all of his associations with Trump and, you know, just kind of all that shit, you just kind of sit here and you're like, well, obviously I can't make excuses for this guy. And even especially with this recent shit, I can't make excuses for it. And you can't even, you know, because even making the argument of like, oh, well, the good art makes up for it. Because don't get me wrong, I like a couple of the songs on the new album, even some of the, you know, more like controversial songs on an album, such as like Easy or Security. But at the same time, um you know kind of his behavior and everything is like ridiculous right and so you know you can only kind of like listen to the songs and deal with that stuff for a while before you kind of really just kind of be like okay well you know i can't really do anything about it this is just going to be the way that it's going to be and you, know, you just kind of have to throw your hands up and you're, you can't defend the guy and you know i don't even really talk about him anymore i go on the uh kanye west subreddit every once in a while and those guys are kind of ridiculous um Um, the Kanye subreddit specifically because I know there's a couple different Kanye West subreddits on Reddit Um, and you know over the years you hear a lot of people talk about different stuff when it comes to Kanye talk about different albums different music all this stuff right and even with being a Fairweather fan one thing I've always wanted to talk about and that I'm passionate about when it comes to Kanye West is like the albums that are good right not that there's like ever definitive or that what I say goes or whatever but I kind of don't understand why everybody likes My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy as much as they do. Um, Not to take away from any of the amazing songs on that album, because there's some like, there's like crazy good songs on that album. But there's also some songs on that album that are like, all right. Uh, And as a whole cohesive unit of an album. And again, I would even argue that there's some songs that are great songs on that album that could use a little trimming. Uh, One of my favorites being Runaway. I love that. Song and Kanye West's, you know, auto tuned solo at the end is interesting, but very much unneeded. The start of his kind of too much self indulgence when it comes to his albums. But again, I'm also a weirdo, I guess, in the grand scheme of the Kanye community because I think the best album is Jesus personally. Because it's one, the, the one Kanye album that is most, the most his ego. Like it's the most his ego. It's the most seemingly like him as a guy. You know, it seems like how he kind of carries himself and asks acts and, you know, the energy that he kind of has unadulterated Kanye. And that's why I've always liked that album. But even, even if you want to strike that album from the top, whatever the fuck list that you want to make with Kanye people thinking that my dark twisted, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy is better than late registration or graduation. I just don't, I just don't get it. I just really don't get it. Cause if you go and look up the track listing for late registrations, late registration, beyond all of the skits, all, like, I think it's like a skit and then four songs, skit and then four songs, skit and then four songs, right? If you take all the skits out, and I think the skits are even good. Like, I think a couple of the skits are kind of funny and, like, help the album move and, like, whatever. Uh, and even as a whole entire album, it's, like, cohesive sonically, at least, even if it's not necessarily cohesive on the subject matter. But there's just, like hits after hits after hits after hits on those albums both those albums both graduation and late registration just the most classic kanye songs ever like touch the sky like some of these songs that are just like you know flashing lights like you have these songs that are like pillars of kanye west that are just like ridiculous and i get it you got power on you know uh, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy you got all of the lights on my dark, dark beautiful twisted fantasy you have you know that one song he did with uh kid cuddy that i can't remember right now for the love, but for the you know for the whatever but i just don't understand the fascination with that album and everybody and maybe it's just because that's one of the more recent of his albums that took a lot of the experimental stuff and put them together but even then like I feel like 808s and Heartbreak is better than that album. Like, I feel like most of Kanye West's album are better than that album. You know, Ye is not better than that album as an album. And like Jesus is King isn't better. And I'm I guess you could say Dawn to 2 isn't better than My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, but it's it in, in my list, it doesn't even break the top five, really. And so it just it's kind of mind-boggling to me that a lot of people find that album like such a monumental Kanye West album, his greatest album. It is the album that everybody talks about as the greatest. And I find it very overrated. Uh, and I just think everybody's crazy. I don't know what I, again, cause I like a lot of the songs on that album, but like, is life is that album better than life of Pablo no like it's just not like it's like you know it's just crazy to me that you'd think you have all of these albums that either push boundaries if you didn't like the songs that were on there or had some of the most popular famous Kanye West songs on them songs that are played on the radio were played on the radio have been played on the radio forever like are now basically a part of the American lexicon like uh, you'd I mean, you have that with some of the songs on, um, my beautiful dark twist fan. Cause I think even monsters on that. And that's like, you know, again, you know, one of Nikki's probably best verses and like a great song in its own right. But like, you know, I don't think that song is better than like some of the great, like, you know, like, uh, crack music on late registration or drive slow, or like, you know, there's so many good songs on that album. I just don't think that you know, song to song, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy beats a lot of Kanye West's album, and it kind of drives me crazy that a lot of people think so and, like, kind of go there with it. Um, and so, being fair weather, just wanted to talk about that and get that out there so I could basically stop talking about Kanye West because now we're out. Of the Kanye West Muse or music news cycle. He's not releasing a new album. You know, I mean, I guess he's being pulled from the Grammys and they're trying to get him taken off of the Grammys and taken out of the Grammys because people think it's irresponsible what he's doing to Pete and Kim, blah 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 blah. And you're like Brian, you're like, well, you know, these uh famous Uh, breakups are messy, uh, one. And two, his behavior is ridiculous, kind of. Or not even kind of ridiculous, it's ridiculous. I mean, he could have gone about it, expressing himself in a completely different way and not being literally, or being as literal as he was in in some of the songs that have come out recently. Might have helped him out, but, you know, whatever. Again, I ultimately can't, like, defend the dude or talk about anything mainly but his music. And even then especially like with Donda 2, if he's going to continue on this trajectory, it seems like the music is kind of becoming an afterthought, which is a bummer because there still seems to be, even on Donda, a lot of interesting experimentation. You know, interesting places that I'd like to see him go, but, you know, who knows? Uh, Who knows what it'll be? Um, And long overdue, uh, because I haven't done it in a little while, and I... um, Mainly because, you know, shows went long, had subjects sitting around, but didn't necessarily want to do it and kind of wanted to talk about other stuff and whatnot. Not that I necessarily want to keep the show to a specific timeline, but I like keeping it around an hour and doing that whole entire thing. But this week on Slept On, I am going to talk about how I slept on streaming and streamers and Twitch, Justin TV, the whole nine yards, YouTube streaming, all of this stuff for years because I had been watching this stuff from the sidelines, like never going to any of these websites and seeing what it was all about, but watching this stuff from the sidelines again for years and, you know, not, not, not necessarily never understanding it, but just kind of, I guess, never really having an avenue for like, Oh yeah, I would like this content. I should watch it. And I don't understand why I never really got there because I used to love watching speedrunning videos and all of the crazy speedrunning communities that have cropped up on, you know, that crop up have cropped up on Twitch since Justin TV and all that stuff like I just watched a video the other day well actually I didn't watch it. I watched it on Mo- uh, Moist Critical's stream uh about the uh, Spongebob Battle for Bikini Bottom speedrunning community, which is like such a crazy sentence to say, but basically a speedrunning community that brought that game back from the brink to the point where I think they even remade the game and re-released it, and people speedrun it on the re release version and the old version, and it's a crazy situation that, you know, I'll, and that's the thing that I feel like I keep running into with Twitch is just crazy situations. Communities of people that have seemed to pull off, like, you know crazy stuff that you never necessarily would have even considered thought of you know a lot of the interactions and stuff that goes down on that channel the controversies you know i find it in in a way so funny how how kind of protective people are of twitch as like purely a bastion for just gaming when you can argue that the irl thing has blown up to such a degree in recent years that it's like you know it's like why you know which what's the big deal but you know, a lot of people give and I think, you know, partially also to do with the fact that a lot of the IRL and, you know, like hot tub or whatever you want to call it, the meta of the e-girls on Twitch, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, it's just all these girls taking all the attention away from other people primarily male whatever you want to call it creators that are just trying to play video games on a platform right and all that kind of ridiculous shit even though you're like well who cares one all of her fans might not be watching the same shit like the fans the fans of xyz e-girl amaranth whoever the hell on twitch might not even be fans be the same people that would be fans of your gaming content, some other dude's gaming content, whatever the fuck, right? In that scenario. And so, but it's just interesting to see kind of all those divisions. But, you know, the community I got into Twitch uh, with was uh, Pay Money Wubby's community originally, mainly because he was a YouTuber that I watched for the longest time. And then he kept mentioning in his YouTube videos that he had a Twitch and that that's where he made all of his money and that he didn't really make money on YouTube. And then he stopped basically making videos on YouTube. So I kind of transitioned over to, I mean, they still have the uh, highlight channel that they do on the YouTube, but for the most part, a lot of the new content that he was making came from his streams. and so he was kind of my jump into it. And then I kind of started spreading out through, you know, games like Minecraft and started watching like Minecraft speedrunners. And, you know, one of the first ones I started watching was Small Ant. And I think I started watching Small Ant because Wubby was on Hive Mind and he went up against Small Ant and thought he was going to lose and won against him. And It was such a cool dude that I was like, OK, let's watch a stream. Fell in love with his stream, started kind of branching out into all these other games. Halo came out, started watching Halo streamers, started watching Splitgate streamers. Uh, and so it's kind of interesting to see kind of how all the communities kind of break out and all the different people playing different games. On there, and like, you know, just all of the weird kind of like cultural things that come out of Twitch. And then when you go over to like YouTube, because I started watching Dr. Disrespect and you can only see him on YouTube, and I never watched him on Twitch. I was, you know, didn't get on Twitch until after he was banned. And so going back and, you know, seeing all of this, you know, not because you can't watch all the old content, but you can watch some of it on the internet and going back and seeing some of that old stuff and kind of like learning about some of the lineage of some of the old school streamers and, you know, all the different people that I don't even know, you know, and, you know, just other streamers bring them up and I'm like, I don't even know who the hell that is. It's a whole different world that I'd never jumped into uh, but it's super cool just kind of like the interaction and the back and forth that can happen with chats and you know even how chats can control stuff i remember again this was before i was into twitch but i remember hearing about like the twitch plays pokemon and that was another big influx of people to twitch from what i've heard that kind of pushed a lot of people into the community and kind of got people to consider streaming because i know streaming still isn't as big as you know youtube and some of the other social media kind of like platforms but it's interesting. interesting. Interesting how kind of where it's gotten and seeing, you know, crazy stuff that, you know, like Hassan, you know, streaming, which he's another one of the people that I stream, but like during the, you know, Russia, Ukraine thing, which is at its height, him having like 150,000 people watching him at one time, and they're sitting him, they're sitting there, whether or not it's all the same people, mostly that many people watching him for like, you know hours six seven hours just talk about the news and talk shit and blah 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 and you know you just kind of get into all these interesting kind of dynamics with with all these communities and so that's kind of the thing i appreciated about it a lot um and just you know it's just it's just interesting the kind of and then you know g4 coming back and them launching on twitch and kind of jump trying to jump into that foyer and stuff like that and that you know and Loving all that content and, you know, them nailing the G4 vibe completely and, you know, applying it to a completely different format in a sense, but also kind of like keeping the same format. Um, It just kind of opened my eyes to a lot more things that you can do with content. Um, And even, you know, going through COVID, some of my first like little breaks uh, and meeting some of the local DJs in my area was getting on Twitch streams that DJs were putting on. So there's been a lot of kind of like, you know, uh, activity around the uh, streaming world as of late. And I think it's only going to get bigger just because I think people do kind of want that immediate uh, interaction element. They want to be able to kind of like, you know, talk to and interact with and deal with, you know, whoever they're, you know, deciding to consume content wise. And so I think, you know, we're just going to see a lot more of that kind of stuff. And it is definitely a thing I slept on. And if you don't watch any streamers or you don't, you should get into it because there's tons of people that stream. You know, I watch even people like Kenny beats and a lot of big DJs and stuff that, you know, play, you know, they'll, they'll make beats live. You can watch them. You can ask questions. Kenny beats hosts beat battles all the time that gets his community involved. And I guess he's, there's been people in his community that have gotten like signed to record labels, all kinds of crazy stuff, just, you know, participating in kind of that interactive way. So, You can find anything. You can find all kinds of people doing stuff on Twitch at the moment. And so, you know, if you slept on it, then don't sleep on it anymore. And if you hadn't been sleeping on it, I have. And I wish I hadn't. And with that, this is the end of uh, this episode of Bottom Fidelity. Um, I'm going to play you out with... um, the rest i guess of my new song which is i guess what i'm going to be doing on these podcasts so you kind of get a uh one two punch you know you get a little bit at the beginning get a little bit at the end kind of you know okay does this entice you to stay till the end maybe it doesn't like who cares i forgot where i was at in the song so we're gonna kind of i guess re-listen to this part but whatever i hope you have a good week um, if you need to get a hold of me or ask me questions or whatever, the email address is no clean. That's N-O-C-L-E-A-N no clean music at gmail.com. That's for whatever questions and queries, whatever you want. Um, my new single is coming out on the 31st this next this coming Thursday, the 31st of March so get that it's called ghost um it has two tracks on it one's kind of like an intro track one's the main track get that it's gonna be dope i'm excited about it um it's again in this vibe that you're hearing right now and so yeah go 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 listen download incorporate that into your life and i will uh and i hope you guys enjoyed that and i hope you guys enjoyed this podcast and my name is joshua veal and i will see you next week